0: to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up.
1: Australia is waking up. What you consume, how you get from A to B, where you choose to shop. These everyday choices matter. And who you bank with does too. Shape the world you want to see. Join the bank with clean money. Search Bank Australia. Hello. This is our special music mini series of the podcast, which we've created on the back of our music issue of Dumbo Feather magazine. Our guest is a very good friend. Someone we've had in the MAG before and worked a lot with over the years, Dr. Catherine Croc. Catherine's a paediatrician over at the Royal Children's Hospital here in Melbourne. And 20 years ago, she founded a remarkable foundation and program called Hush, which brings musicians into hospital environments to compose music that will reduce anxiety and stress for patients and their family and friends. Catherine's work has evolved to look at and transform the culture of healthcare to one that is centred around kindness and empathy. She's an absolute force in Australia, and every time I chat with her, I learn something new and leave feeling like the world is in a better place. In this conversation, she and I talk about the Hush legacy and share some of her favourite pieces from an extraordinary 19 albums over the years. So you've just told me that you were meant to be in WA for hot air balloon.
0: Hot air ballooning competition. Our son, Ben, is a hot air balloon pilot.
1: <laughs> no way. Yeah. So he was going to be racing. How does it work?
0: They do some really interesting competitions. So they'll be given targets and they have to fly to a certain height and then they have to be able to drop a sandbag onto a very small target. Ah. And so they Got to be quite good at all the maths and the aerodynamics of the wind speeds at the different heights and how you're going to get your balloon there and drop your target in the right place. And he's aiming to go in the Australian team for the World Championships, and this was a tryout.
1: Have they postponed it? or
0: They've postponed it. We'll go there next year.
1: Wow, your family. What's the other amazing sport that your daughter does?
0: Two of the girls play Ultimate Frisbee in the Australian Ultimate Frisbee team.
1: Yeah. Who'd have thought it?
0: Yeah, and my husband, Rod, invented the sport of rogaining. Rogaining? It's an incredible Australian sport. You go in teams of two to five people. You have a map and a compass, and you're navigating to find checkpoints across about 200 square kilometres.
1: Oh, that sounds like a fun thing to do.
0: You can go with friends or family, anyone, you know.
1: How cool. Oh, I'm definitely going to yeah. do that. So already, like, two seconds in, and I'm fascinated, Kath, as always. <laughs> Actually, it was one of my first questions was to ask you how it's going in healthcare and how the hospitals are feeling right now as cases are rising. How are you doing?
0: It's very hard in the hospitals and it's very scary.
1: Mm.
0: So we're not only scared for the patients, but we're scared for ourselves in a way we never have been before. Mm. And I think the system's taken a bit too long to get us into proper protective gear. And certainly during last year, A lot of healthcare staff were actually getting COVID. People we knew were getting COVID and that's scary because you're at work and you expect to be safe, but you need to have the proper protective gear. That's ramped up now and it's a lot better. There was a recent nursing staff exposure in the tea room and it knocks 135 people off work for a couple of weeks while they isolate.
1: If only more people knew that. I mean, we're starting to hear more of that now in the media.
0: Yes, and that means we cancel theatre. So people have to sit there and look at the list and say, "Well, we can't do these operations. We can't do this work because there won't be any staff to man the ship."
1: Mm, mm. And you were saying you took some time off because you you'd realised you were just doing the job almost
0: totally lost my zip. I was just going in there doing what needed to be done, hardly talking to anyone, and coming home.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: So a break for three weeks was really important and I think it's got my energy back again and got me caring about what I'm doing, so that's good.
1: That's good to hear because it's a huge part of all of your work with the gathering of kindness and hush is about putting empathy back into healthcare and it's these times, I think, where that is really tested.
0: It is. And what we're finding is it's, in fact, so much more important to make some space in your day and some time with your colleagues even if you're socially distanced, to check in with people and to be kind to each other Mm. so that we can sustain each other during this.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: In some ways that's quite bonding. If you're doing it, it can help the team pull together.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it goes so far, doesn't it, those little acts of reaching out and of kindness and of connection just not only for the people that are reaching out to but for ourselves and our need for a relational experience, which is so tricky in these moments.
0: Exactly. But it is so important in healthcare
1: mm-hmm.
0: and something we're not all that good at is being vulnerable in front of each other. It can be seen that you're a bit weak and you're not coping as well as other people. But I think now it's a little bit more accepted. Let's just show that to each other and talk about it so that we can support each other better and really be acknowledging. Every one of us has got struggles in our home life as well as our work life.
1: It'd be hard to find somebody who's not struggling at the moment.
0: As a grandparent, not being able to see your grandchildren mm. or not being able to see your elderly parents.
1: Yeah, being separated between states, not seeing family. We're all sharing the same challenges at the moment. So let's just show up.
0: That's right. And talk about them and show kindness towards whatever people are struggling with.
1: Yeah, and start to soften into what it means to be human at the moment. It is a music episode of the podcast and I was really keen to have you on because you've been a big part of our music experience at Dumbo Feather. We've been chatting, what, three or four years now? Yes. (laughs) And uh, a lot of the conversations have been around music, of course, because of Hush. For those who are listening who don't know about Hush, maybe give us a bit of an insight into what it is and how it came to be.
0: So Hush started over 20 years ago now and it came out of my work at the Royal Children's Hospital looking after children with leukaemia and other serious life-threatening illnesses. I had young children at the time and found the whole environment and experience for these families quite challenging for me as a mother. And so I started talking to the parents about how we could improve the environment for them and make their journey when they've got a sick child as easy as we possibly could. And in fact, it was music that quite a few of them talked about early on and saying, you know, we've got music in our normal everyday life, but you come into a hospital setting and everything's so strange, everything's so difficult and challenging. And the sound environment doesn't include music as a normal part. Maybe if we brought music into the hospitals, that would make a difference. And that was a light bulb moment. My children were learning from professional musicians from the Melbourne Symphony at the time. And so I thought, well, I'll ask them about it. I don't really know what's going to be best here. And we did try some classical CDs and we put them on in waiting rooms and operating theatres, but sometimes they didn't work. The music just wasn't right because it might build up to a massive crescendo or it might be a minor key that actually made you feel more anxious. And so bringing the expertise of composers Into the space was what we thought was the next best thing. And I'd stand a composer in the corner of an operating theatre or sit them in the waiting room and let them just interact with the families and have conversations and get to know people. And it was quite extraordinary because their really finely tuned ears would be stressed out by all the noises and what is going on in a hospital environment. It's a cacophony of sound that we who are working in it every day are just used to it. It's like being the frog in the pot of water. But actually, they found it quite jarring and Mm. would raise their anxiety levels. And they thought the music we compose for this is going to have to be carefully crafted so it sits in the sound environment in a way that calms people and relaxes them rather than raises the noise level and raises their anxiety.
1: Mm. So those collaborations started pretty early on from when you noticed how useful this could be for people attending surgery and for their families. Yes. And then you also started to notice how it was affecting the people performing surgery as well and the people in the wards.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we didn't think of it helping the staff in the first place. It actually helped children feel more calm when they were coming to have an operation. And then we could see that, in fact, it was really good for the parents. And the parents, if they're calm when their child comes in, that very much goes through to the child and then everybody's more calm. But the next step was we started noticing that our own people doing the work in the operating theatre were more calm and were speaking more gently and respectfully to each other and to the patients and families.
1: (laughs) Of course. I mean, it makes so much sense to us that music has that effect. But it was quite revolutionary and is still quite revolutionary, I think, to think about bringing... I'm cautious not to use the word soft skills, but those kind of parts of ourselves into a really performative, outcome-driven environments.
0: Yes, I think this blending of the arts and health is really important, and it's becoming more and more obvious that we all need it, and that we can't exist with just a professional persona that we put on when we walk in the door to do our job as a doctor or a nurse. We put on our uniform. There's more to us than that. and the more we're able to feel we come as a whole person to work and the home life is integrated into what we're doing at work, the richer it all is and the better things function.
1: Mm, mm. And that has evolved into your curiosity, into empathy and healthcare, which has been kind of the next big part of your journey around creating the gathering of kindness. I guess it's just an extension of this curiosity that you have around bringing whole self to work, bringing creativity into the workplace, being more three-dimensional humans in these environments that don't often invite us or ask us to be anything else other than the job.
0: Yes, that's right, and the professional who's doing that job. The music was really a gentle, slightly surreptitious way to start some different conversations. And I felt like this won't be so threatening to people because, you know, step by step, you can understand, oh, some music of the right type in this environment might help. And then I found that I was able to open up conversations more about how we're all treating each other and how we're treating the patients and families, how much we're involving families in how we craft the journey for their sick relative. And so it worked you'd get people starting to talk about it and you'd find out one of the technicians plays the guitar at the weekend, somebody else is in a choir, you know, all these secret life of us (laughs) coming out. It's really joyful when that starts to happen and the team is sharing some other things about themselves and what really matters to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so how has it grown Hush over the 20 years? You've put out an album pretty much every year
0: An album every year, pretty much, yes. So in 2002, I met Paul Grabowski, who's an incredible jazz musician, and Paul composed two of our albums and then became our artistic director. As we were growing, I needed help with who were the best musicians and composers, and Paul has all the contacts, so we would just brainstorm who might have the right sort of mentality and who might be interested in Hush as a project. And I'd have to say so many of Australia's foremost composers are just the most generous people who all quite quickly, when they heard about the project, understood that this was going to be a pretty special contribution, not just their music as an entertainment or their music at a concert hall. This is music that has a very definite purpose. And I would end up having the casting vote on whether the music was going to be appropriate. And I'd take it into my team and we'd test out a draft of it and everybody's feeding back, yes, this is going to work or no, this particular bit might not work. One composer had a segment that sounded a bit like impending doom, like it had a a darkness to it that the team felt might push families into a place that they don't need to be pushed when they've already got enough on their plate. And so we would have some artistic say As a healthcare team, about how the music was going to work for us. So the collaborations have been really quite extraordinary.
1: Mm. And the effect that you've seen Hush have on people over the years. We have this amazing article on the Dumbo Feather website at the moment about Amelia, who was a young cancer patient. Maybe she was two or three, and her family came to see you. And that was also the evolution of Hush. And she's gone on to become a musician herself, and she writes so beautifully. encourage everyone to check out this piece about the role music has played in her life because of that experience she had through the program at such a young age. But I'm sure there are so many stories like that one.
0: Well, Amelia's really touches me because I had no idea for about 10 years that that was the direction she was heading in and that the music had been so profound for her. I knew it had certainly helped her parents a lot Mm. and they have just supported this whole concept ever since.
1: And that's right. I mean, what you're saying is you're not going to know the impact that the program is going to be having on everyone.
0: Yes. Another one of the composers that Dumbo Feathers talked to is Matthew Heinson
1: That's right, yes.
0: And Matthew is extraordinary. He's composed twice now for Hush, and he keeps suggesting he wants to do more because the effect... As a composer, he said it was life-changing for him that after getting to meet the children with cancer and talking to them and understanding their journey and then writing music that would specifically help them, he said he's composed differently from that day onwards.
2: Incredible.
0: Yeah, that it gave him a real focus for what the purpose of his music is. And he made a very special connection with a young girl called Sophie and he wrote a piece specially for her, which I think you'd like to play. It's called The Stars Above Us All. He composed that for the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra, for the album we brought out in 2013. And it's a totally stunning, gorgeous piece that uses the celeste, which is an instrument I wasn't that aware of. But when you hear it, it's depicting the stars. And he was seeing Sophie and her family as the stars who are just so amazing to cope with the sorts of journey they go through.
1: Okay. All right. Well, let's play that one. Oh, gorgeous. And have you continued the program over the past two years with the lockdowns? Have you been able to?
0: Well, we have actually. We had a lot of big plans for 2020. It was going to be almost our biggest year because in the preceding two years, so 2018 and 19, I'd been taking some female singer-songwriters into mother-baby units and maternity units. They were meeting with young parents to talk about some of the challenges of young parenthood and the idea of the village that it takes to raise a child. We talked to young mums who'd been in the high-risk pregnancy unit and been bedridden for months and months and how that had been for them, waiting for this baby but being at such high risk and not being able to see the rest of their family and their other kids while they were in this precarious situation. So we managed to record Kate Miller-Heideke and Megan Washington, the songs that they wrote out of their experience before lockdown. And we did those with the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra as backing. And then during COVID times, we've actually managed to record the other female singer-songwriters where they live. So Mama Kin, who's a good friend of Dumbo Feather, she recorded her pieces over in Western Australia. And then The Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra got together in September last year when Tasmania opened up again, and they managed to do the orchestral part. So it's been a challenge, of course, but fantastic to see the goodwill behind this project that people will still make it work, even though it's been a bit difficult and we couldn't all be in the same room doing it.
1: Mm -hmm. So is that album out?
0: That album is going to... Dart coming out piece by piece we're going to drop a song at a time we've decided
1: ah cool
0: starting around the gathering of kindness this november
1: beautiful
0: but certainly by next march that album will be out and we're thinking it's going to be a vinyl oh amazing yes yeah, so all these young singers are so extraordinary so naomi crellin who is also mm-hmm. a good friend of Dumbo Feather. She's done two pieces. Emily Waramura. Yes. Absolutely beautiful. And Missy Higgins.
1: Oh, fantastic. Wow. <laughs> what a collection. But like you said, I mean, it just shows how incredible this work is, you know, that so many performers and some of our best artists in Australia are drawn to this work because there is obviously so much purpose in in making music, but this is something pretty unique altogether.
0: Yes. And Kate Miller-Heidekes actually performed one of her songs a couple of times and she invited the women who she'd met at the Mercy Hospital to come to the concert and hear the songs being played. Absolutely extraordinary experience for them and so beautiful of Kate.
1: How gorgeous. How has it impacted your relationship with music? I can't remember if we've talked about this before. Are you a musician of some kind?
0: Yeah, piano and oboe. Oboe, that's right,
1: Yes, yes. And you were already...
0: I was already, so I played the piano when I was a little kid and I played right through to year 12 at school. And then I took up the oboe as a medical student and I loved that I've played in a couple of small groups and orchestras with that. This is another song you might like to play, Diana Doherty and Paul Grabowski and the Goldenest Dream Quartet from Hush Volume 7, which Paul Grabowski wrote, a song called River Running. And when you hear her oboe on that, There's no way I'll take mine out of its case anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we'll play that one. That sounds like a good one. And let's talk about some of your other highlights over the years, what comes to mind. we shared a couple of songs now.
0: Look, one of the other um, projects that was very special was the one we called A Piece of Quiet. And that was with The Idea of North. And Naomi Crellin is the artistic director of The Idea of North. And Lior and Elena Katz-Chernin. So that was an extraordinary group that got together and we sat and we talked about what the theme might be for this album for quite a while and decided we wanted to ask children for their um, take on some of the big questions in the world. You know, what matters to you when you're a kid and what are some of the things that they would like reflected back in songs? And we had children write the lyrics, we had children send us their ideas, and then we collected them and Lior or Naomi would write the songs and that is an absolutely beautiful album because it was inspired by the kids and we felt really closely connected to what the purpose of that was.
1: Mm. And you hear the kids uh, voices throughout.
0: Yeah, Lior's children are on it, Nick Beckley's children. We had children's choirs singing as well. And all of the music is accessible for other people to play. So we've got the sheet music of all of
2: Ah.
0: that, that school orchestras or choirs would be able to use. And that's one of the things when we've got the composers writing, I do like them to make it accessible so this music can live on in lots of different ways.
1: Yeah, fantastic.
0: Yeah, something I really love is hearing that an orchestra in Panama has just played one of the pieces (laughs) off A Piece of Quiet because they wrote to Elena Katz-Chernan and asked if they could have the music. Oh,
1: wow. Where do they get those resources on on a website?
0: You can get them from the Australian Music Centre. So we register all the hush music there and then people can borrow it from there.
1: Incredible. All right, so what are we playing from that album?
0: Let's play A Piece of Quiet, the title track.
3: As I flew above the crowd, straight out of the cannon's mouth, thousands cheered as I soared so high, high. I just want a piece of quiet now. I landed in the middle of the softest pillow there ever was Cameras flashed as I received my golden prize I just want a piece of quiet now Earlier this morning The sailors came and said We are being pursued by three ships Waving flags of red I had to grab my shiny sword And put my black coat on I steered us through the dragon's reef Until the ships were gone I've got to walk the owl That's sleeping in my room I must buy new shoes for my unicorn She needs a bigger size I love it how they sparkle When she flies And next week holds even more There's so much out there to explore It's not easy being as brave as me You'll see One day I will even go On a train all on my own But I just want a piece of quiet now Just want a piece of quiet now.
0: And that was a quote from one of the children who was actually talking about her little brother and saying that he was always too noisy and actually what she needed was a piece of quiet. (laughs) And we just loved that.
1: Oh, gorgeous.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so that's beautiful and that's sung by Lior.
1: Gorgeous. All right, well, let's talk about The Gathering of Kindness and where you're at with that and what's coming up for you.
0: The Gathering of Kindness really came out of another strand of the work that Hush started to do, which was to bring actors and playwrights into hospitals. So, we'd found music so successful, the bringing of arts into that space, that I started thinking, what if we could ramp up the conversations we're having and use theatrical arts to get people talking in a different way? So, we connected with Alan Hopgood, who's an extraordinary Australian playwright. I gave Alan stories from patients and families who'd had experiences in healthcare and from staff who work in hospitals or aged care or different settings. And some of it is the good, the bad and the ugly of what goes on behind the scenes. And Alan's written these three extraordinary plays, which we've now put on over 200 times in hospitals, in aged care, at conferences, not only in Australia, but internationally. And we gathered all the feedback from the audiences who've seen the plays. We asked them a series of questions after the play about what they think and how it affected them. And I became overwhelmed by the negativity that was coming back from every single audience that made me feel like there is a crisis in the culture of healthcare, of the way people are treating each other in that workplace. And there's lots of reasons. There's stress and there's all of the things that are going on, but it's actually grinding people down. There was a lot of bullying and harassment, people getting burnt out, leaving the system because you just can't cope with it anymore. And this was all before there was a pandemic. And I thought, really, this is such a crisis. We need to have a large-scale conference or some discussion about what is really going on here and how we're going to do something about it. But I don't like the negativity. The negativity was grinding me down. So I thought we could flip the conversation and instead of talking about the bullying, talk about what's a kind health system. What are the building blocks? How do we together build a system that's kind to the people who are working in it and kind to the people who are receiving the care? That was the idea behind the gathering of kindness, that we have the positive conversation. And it gives people something to aim for. It gives us a feeling that we've got some control over it ourselves. So I don't actually need to be working under a perfect manager or the best CEO that we could have. I can tomorrow go into my workplace and by my own acts of kindness and the way I treat the people I interact with, I can have an influence. That's really empowering for people who might not feel that they've got some leadership role or some control over their own situation at work, but they do. So this has really been growing and growing. For the last five years, it's been live events and you've been involved in several of them.
1: Yeah, I was going to say one of the things I love about being involved in those events is the community of people that come together around it as well. I think it's generated such an incredible bunch of people who care. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and it's a great energy. And the more you talk about it, the more you get ideas of how we can do it better. And, you know, we talk about some slightly provocative questions. Are we too busy to be kind? People will often say we haven't got time for anything else. Mm. Well. Actually, if you're not being kind to each other in the workplace, the wheels start to fall off. Things go wrong. Things go wrong for you or they go wrong for the patients and it takes more time to unravel it. What are some of the rules we need to break for kindness? There are so many policies and procedures and healthcare is becoming more and more industrialised in that way. Maybe we need to step back and say, what about this procedure and policy? Could it be worded differently differently? Are we putting up barriers that stop people being kind or make them think that they're going to get into trouble if they perform some act of kindness to a patient or a family? Mm. How do our organisations give the people working in them the space, both physical space and mental space, and the permission to be kind? So it's really interesting things and we're finding that leadership of our health system has realised that this is an important way to go and this really matters
1: yeah and the work improves so much more when this is front and center
0: when people have got joy in their work and they're actually flourishing in that space Mm. you can achieve an enormous amount
1: that's right i mean you know i feel like you are a living example of that look at all of the joy that you've brought into the work through this curiosity and this passion and this intrigue
0: look the team i work with now We flourish in what we're doing. We're way more efficient than we were a few years ago. We've really opened up to each other and the patients and families can feel it. They tell us they feel safe in our care. Now, this is about making everyone feel safe.
1: Mm -hmm. And there's going to be an event this year?
0: Yeah, well, interestingly, last year we were in a bit of a slump by about June because we normally hold our events around World Kindness Day on November the 13th. And here we were in a pandemic, so we weren't going to do anything live. And we did this pivot to an online event and had over a thousand people, which was really extraordinary. This year, we've had a subscription for hospitals that can sign up all their staff.
1: Well, that's a good idea. Yeah.
0: It's very low cost thing. We don't really mind. We just want people to get involved. And so they can sign up all their staff who can join up to any of the sessions that they'd like to. We have a whole lot of free sessions that are just going to be rolling at any time and people can pick them up off our website. But we've got some really interesting panels, international panel, a panel of trainee doctors who are really under the pump at the moment talking about some of their challenges. And we're talking to another friend of yours, Hugh McKay. Oh, beautiful. What a legend. Yes. So we interviewed Hugh about his new book. The online is working amazingly well. Oh, so this will be an online event as well? This will be online as well.
1: Okay, fantastic.
0: We keep our things quite short because we know that everybody's overloaded, everybody's doing too much Zoom and too much screen time. And yeah. for attention spans, if you can just get a short bite of something that inspires you, then that's great. And back to work with a spring in your step.
1: Beautiful. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Dumbo Feather Music mini-series. You can go back and find our other two with Genevieve Lacey and Monique DiMartina and Jess Hitchcock. You can learn more about Hush and shop for some of the albums over at hush.org.au and sign up for The Gathering of Kindness at gatheringofkindness.org. Big thanks to Bank Australia for partnering with us on this music mini-series and being legends on the journey to changing our systems for the better. Be well. And I'll see you next time on the Dumbo Feather podcast.